Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, There were about 30 of us that went to Israel this last week, and we'll share just a little bit more about that that trip in just a moment. But uh, us coming back to the United States was not the only big thing that happened in the U.S. this week. Um, We... uh, Friday was uh, a historic day, as uh, every four years it is, and we, uh, we uh, have a new president, and a lot of people have a lot of different feelings. It's been interesting. I would encourage you, this is a great time of year to take a break from social media, isn't it? Um, it's, it, would, it would be healthy to be careful what you don't say and what you don't read um, is an interesting thing. However, here's what scripture says. Scripture says no matter who they are, we should pray for our leaders. Have you read that? In fact, we're going to get there in a few weeks in uh, First Peter and see what Peter says about that. Um, and so we want to do that today. I think more than anything else, that's, that's our, our fundamental role as the church with regards to our leaders is to pray for them. And so can we, before we do anything else, can we stop and let's pray for our president, for our nation. Would you bow your heads and join me? Father, we, we thank you for the privilege and the blessing that we have to live in the United States. And God, that we can know the freedom to worship you and God, so many things about, about who we are that come from um, our national heritage and history of which you are at the center in so many ways. And so Lord, in this transition of power, we pray for Donald Trump. We pray for his family. God, would you give to President Trump your strength? Would you give to him your wisdom? Lord, I pray that you would allow him to, uh, to hear the voice of your spirit. I pray that you would surround him with people who would give him good insight and godly counsel and wisdom. Lord, we pray for those being appointed to cabinet positions. God, that you would guide and direct that process. Lord, we pray for our Congress. We pray for our Supreme Court. We pray for those who lead in so many different ways in the halls of government. And as your word encourages us to do, God, would you be with them? Lord, would you guide them? And Lord, we acknowledge that our nation is in this unique season Lord, where there's tension, there's frustration, there's uncertainty, there's confusion, so many that have concerns. God, we ask that by your spirit, you would allow there, as, as we're encouraged to pray in the epistles, to pray that we could live lives that are quiet and peaceable. Lord, that you would, would lead us in that. And Lord, we pray more than anything else in this season, would you allow it to be a time where people see you? God, where people would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior, as your word prays, God, we know that there's much we need to repent of, but we look to you to heal our land. God, would you bring an awakening, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for the last uh, few months, actually, around Christmas, we, we've been in and out of the, the book of First Peter, the letter that Peter wrote to, to these churches, and we kind of find ourselves, I think it's interesting today, at the beginning of First Peter chapter 5, and the subject today is leadership which I think is an interesting subject for us on a day like today, um, especially the first Sunday following the inauguration. A lot of our minds are on this subject. What does it take to be a leader? And I I would say there's actually different kinds of leadership. I think there's political leadership, and we've sure seen our fair share of that in the last few months, haven't we? And there's, there's business leadership. 
I mean, so many times we celebrate um, those that have led titans of industry and their leadership and the difference that it's made. And oftentimes we, we celebrate those that lead in the athletic world, coaches and athletes, and we, we, we honor them for their leadership. What's interesting is I would say that this is a pivotal time in our nation for us to talk about leadership. Would you agree? In part, here's why. Not so, be, not so much because leadership is so important in the world of Washington, but because leadership is so important in the world we live in, the kind of leadership that we have, the kind of leadership that we model and that we show. So today, I wanna talk to you about kind of a different kind of leadership, not just business or or sports or political leadership. Today, I wanna talk about what the Bible says to us about spiritual leadership. How do we lead in a spiritual context, in a spiritual way? And I think this is important because it's not the same as many other things. You can walk into any bookstore, you can hop online. If you Google the word leadership, you're going to get all kinds of thoughts and strategies and theories and resources. And so many of them are good to help us to lead in different contexts. But scripture is very clear that there is some way for us to live if we are going to be in a form of spiritual leadership. One thing that's important to recognize is that spiritual leadership is different. It's not like other forms of leadership. It is, it is unique in the sense that spiritual leadership is different. It has a different goal than other forms of leadership. Instead of promoting self or winning a certain type of success, spiritual leadership is about honoring God. And it plays by a different set of rules. It's not what you pick up at Barnes & Noble. It's, it's what you read in God's word. That's the model for leadership. Not only is spiritual leadership different, but spiritual leadership is foundational. I don't know where God has put you to lead. It may be in the workplace, it may be in your home, but spiritual leadership needs to be foundational in that place, that before you lead in any other way, the basis of your leadership needs to be the calling that you have as a follower of Jesus Christ. You must lead spiritually. And understand this, because for some of you, you may be struggling in your leadership in the workplace, maybe in your role in your home, effective leadership must first be built on spiritual leadership. If you're gonna lead and you wanna be an effective leader, effective leadership must first be built. It's primary, it's foundational that it's built on spiritual leadership. And the Bible has plenty to say about being a leader. I would say that scriptures give to us the the greatest example, the greatest role model of a leader in Jesus Christ. Would you agree? And then as you read through the the examples of the Old Testament, as you read the book of Proverbs, all throughout scripture, we see examples of what leadership should look like. Peter also weighs in on this subject. And so in 1 Peter chapter five, we're gonna look at the first four verses here. It's a very pivotal passage in his book talking about leadership. Let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter five, beginning with verse one. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed Field. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
Now, this is a very specific and interesting passage of Scripture because Peter says, I'm speaking here to the elders. He's talking there to those who serve in some form of church leadership. Now, if you read through Paul's writings, Peter's writings, the things that you see in the book of Acts, there's these certain terms that, that are kind of hard for us to completely define it. And at times, they seem to be interchangeable. When he talks about elder or overseer, you may see the term bishop or pastor. They all seem to kind of overlap in some way to talk about local church leadership. What's interesting, the New Testament doesn't give to us an org chart of how the church is to be designed. It gives us a a loose role model, and I think it changes over time in different settings, different locations, the the, the way that different local communities and congregations are structured. But one of the things that Scripture says is that there are to be those who serve in some form of leadership. And as you can imagine, I, I have to take this passage personally. Because my, my calling, my role is, is as, a, as a pastor. And so Peter's talking very clearly to those who serve in local church leadership. And so I, I hear this with a certain ear. But I don't think it's just for me. I think it's also, if you really look at this, it's for, it's for our staff as a church. It's for those who, who serve in our pastoral roles, administrative roles. It's actually spoken to many of you who in some way lead here in this church with a certain element of, of influence, no matter where that might be, what ministry that might be, from those that serve as our deacons to those that invest in the life of our students. If you serve in the church in some way, then you're called to be a leader. So I think Scripture's speaking to all of us here. What's interesting about what Peter writes is it echoes so many other principles throughout scripture about leadership. And so I think that we can take what he says here to the elders in that church in the first century, and it echoes into all of our lives as we talk about this subject of leadership. No matter where it is that you lead, there are principles here that we can learn. So what I want to do today is give to you three questions to evaluate your spiritual leadership. Today I want to talk about three questions to evaluate your spiritual leadership. You know how when you go to, to the doctor for a doctor's appointment, maybe it's your annual checkup, maybe you haven't been there for a while, maybe you're starting a new doctor, the most exciting part of going on that visit is when they hand you the clipboard, isn't it? I mean, you just can't wait to answer all those questions that they're asking that you just answered a year ago. And there's times when you got to go, okay, you're kind of evaluating yourself. This is what's wrong with me. This is what's not wrong with me. This is what I don't want you to know is wrong with me, right? You do do all that stuff. Why? Because if you're going to be healthy at some point, you have to do an evaluation because you don't know how to move forward if you don't. So today I want you to think about your leadership. What's interesting is every time we we have an opportunity to talk about leadership in the church, I watch one of two reactions. Some of you kind of sit up to the edge of your seat. Because you know that that in the role that you're in, home, workplace, church, wherever it might be, you go, yes, I know I have to lead, so I'm listening. Other people go, "Eh, I'm not a leader. I'm just kind of sit back in the seat and like, "Eh, I'd hope to be encouraged today, but I'll just let Chad talk on and on and on and on. (laughs) Look, don't dismiss this today. Here's what I want you to see. Whether you realize it or not, you're called to leadership in your home. On the job, I'm not the boss, it doesn't matter. Your attitude has influence. In the church, your presence makes a difference. In your community, in your relationships, the way that you interact in your relationship sets a tone for what that relationship will be like. You are leading in one way or another. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. Before we even jump into the text, where are you a leader? If you were gonna apply this to some area of your life today, is it your job? Is it your role as a parent? Is it it your school? Is it here at Calvary? Maybe you're involved in a parachurch ministry here locally. 
where is it that you're called to be a leader? Because as you look at this passage of scripture, as we unpack this today, I really do believe God wants to use this to speak to your heart. Three questions that I challenge you to evaluate your own leadership today from a spiritual perspective. Here's the first one. Number one, what is the responsibility of your leadership? What is the responsibility of your leadership? What what is it that you're responsible for? What is it that you need to do? What's your obligation as a leader? Here's what, what Peter says. Go back to this. First Peter chapter five, verse two. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. A few things that are key for us to see here. One is this, the leader is a shepherd. It's a great image that scripture uses over and over again. In fact, God often called shepherds to lead his people. Does anybody know what Moses' occupation was before he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt? He was a Do you know what David was before he killed Goliath and everything went big time for him? He was a shepherd. You guys are so smart. Jesus refers to himself as being the good. So you see this over and over again, this model that a leader is a shepherd. So so what's the role of the shepherd? Here's Here's a couple of pictures that I'd love to share with you from our tour of Israel, the trip to Israel this, this last week, because I think oftentimes when people think of the Holy Land, they think that it's all just a desert. Have you ever seen that? Every time there's a movie based on the Bible, everybody lives in a desert. Have you ever seen that? It's like, boy, that's all they have. There's just desert. Not true. There's so much more to it than that. We started our trip up in, in kind of the northern part of the country. We went to a place called Dan. That's where this first picture is taken. That's our group that's there. Can I tell you what the highlight of this trip was for me? The highlight of this trip was watching people from Calvary just have light bulbs come on about God's word, about these places, and uh, and an amazing group of people to travel with. We're in a place called Dan. That doesn't look like a desert, does it? It's more like a forest. From there, you can look and see the snow-capped mountains of Mount Hermon on the northern border of Israel. It's not a desert. From there, we traveled down, and we were in the area of Galilee, along the Sea of Galilee, mountains that rim. It's a beautiful place, and that's where this took place. This next picture was, uh, we had 31 people in our group who got baptized in the Jordan River, which was super cool. In January, couldn't feel my toes for four and a half days. Praise God that he heals. Right? And with all of us, we had to wear those white robes to do it. We look like a cult, don't we? <laughs> sure would make getting ready for church on Sunday easy if we all just uh, wore those robes. So from there then, we went south towards the Dead Sea. Now that's desert. This is up on this mountain fortress that Herod built called Masada. If you can look in the distance, you can see the Dead Sea. That's, that's desert. So there's all these different geographic regions. When I think about a shepherd, though, oftentimes when I think about a shepherd, you know what I think about? I think about Ireland, right? I think about the rolling green hills and the sheep just frolicking in the pasture, (laughs) just chewing on the grass, and the humble shepherd just watching nearby, playing his harp and napping under a tree, right? Isn't that kind of the (laughs) image you have of a shepherd? Let me tell you what they had in Scripture, because the place where Moses shepherded was not like Ireland. The place where David shepherded was not like Ireland. These are the hill country of Judea. It's often called the Judean wilderness, and you'll see it here. Does that look like Ireland to you? No, it's rugged. They call it a wilderness for a reason. This would be the area that when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, this is kind of the geographical picture he had in his mind. Do you see a lot of green there? No, you see patches. In fact, you see those kind of green pastures in that one spot right there in that valley, don't you? So a shepherd isn't just hanging out under a tree playing his harp and taking a nap. You know what a shepherd's doing? 
He's making sure he can get his sheep somewhere where they can thrive. Shepherding's not easy. It's work. It means you have to lead. Here's the shepherd's role. The shepherd's role is to lead and to feed. The role of the shepherd is to lead and to feed, to get those sheep to move your flock to a place where they can thrive, where they can grow. In the process of that, the shepherd's role is to guard and to guide. It's the role of the shepherd to guard and to guide. There's danger out in them there hills, isn't there? I mean, there's wild animals, there's sharp cliffs. At some point, it's up to the shepherd to make sure that he is doing his part to protect his flock. So when you think of leadership, understand this, it's not just sitting under a tree, playing a harp and taking a nap. This is high impact stuff. It's a powerful thing for us to consider because the leader is a shepherd Who does he shepherd? The leader shepherds God's flock. The leader shepherds God's flock. It says that we are shepherds of God's flock. If you literally translated it, it would say, shepherd the sheep of God. They're not your sheep, they're his sheep, and he's entrusted them to you. He has given you the opportunity to lead on his behalf, and that is a powerful thing. In your home, where God has called you in your school, in your workplace, wherever it is that came to your mind that you said, I'm a leader there. God's called you to be a shepherd in that place and to lead his people on his behalf. Which leads us to this really interesting thing, that the leader responds to the call of God. See, it's not necessarily something that we choose for ourselves, but we respond to what God has called us to. It says we shepherd the flock of God's people that are under our care, and he has called us. Where is it for you? Is it in the church? Is it leading in in your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your friends? Is it that role that you play Monday through Friday on the job? It's important that we recognize that when God calls us, we need to lead. Here's what's also important though, and I think this is significant. We have to be careful that we're not trying to lead outside of our calling. When we try to lead outside of our calling, we find ourselves frustrated. Let me tell you what I mean by this. I have for years wished and hoped I would love that I could golf, but I can't. It is not my spiritual gift. I am no good at it, and I've tried, I go out, I wish I could enjoy it, seems like it'd be fun. It'd be nice to go outside, you could take a walk, kind of a little bit of exercise, driving the cart, and um, you get to spend time with people. It's like, this, this sounds real cool, I wish I could do it, until I go out and try it. And I'm, I have no golfing skills whatsoever. The other thing is this, I've got enough other things in my life that make me pray that God will help me not to cuss, I don't need another. <laughs> right, so when I go, I just get frustrated. So I have to say to myself, I don't, I don't think this is my calling. Maybe a different season in my life, maybe God will impart to me the gift of golfing, I don't know. But not right now, and when I try, I just get frustrated. Leadership's the same way, I understand this. Frustration occurs when we try to lead where we are not called. If you try to lead in a place where God's not called you, You're just gonna get frustrated. Now those things change over time and over seasons, but understand this, and and before I even go here, understand this, there's no ax to grind in this. This isn't targeted at anybody, This this is just good truth. But understand this, leadership is not criticizing or comparing. 
I have a lot of friends that have allowed themselves to become frustrated and even bitter in leadership or in ministry because they think that if they will criticize or if they will compare their leadership role to another person's, that that's moving forward. Leadership isn't criticizing or comparing. That's just frustrating. And leadership is not fantasizing. I think sometimes we start to think, well, I could lead in that place or I could do that. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback, isn't it? There's nothing worse than a wannabe leader when you just think about where you'd like to lead instead of leading where God would like for you to. And leadership's not forcing. I know people that, that, that try to force their way into leadership. Sometimes you, you, try to, you try to do something, maybe even sooner than God thinks you are ready to do that. You try to get leadership on a, your own when it's not yours, maybe even not yours yet from God. Understand this, present faithfulness leads to future leadership. If you'll be faithful where he's called you today, then I really do believe God will open up those opportunities. I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in other people's lives. Be faithful where you are today and he will open up the door for future leadership. Now that's true, you'll get frustrated if you try to lead where you're not called. Flip the script on this one though. Frustration also occurs when we fail to lead where we are called. You wanna get frustrated? Then don't lead where God's called you. And you'll find yourself in such a tough situation Frustration occurs when we fail to lead where we are called. How do, how do you mean that, Chad? Well, watch this. We fail when we dismiss the reality of leadership. We fail when we dismiss the reality of leadership. And guess what? Some of you listening to this have already done this today. Ah, I'm not a leader. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you interact with people at all, you're a leader. Your life will set the tone. You have influence. Don't just dismiss it and say, I'm not a leader. God has called you somewhere. Operate in that. We also fail when we drop the ball of leadership. When we have this in our hands to do and we fail to do it, when we know what we should do, but we don't have the discipline or the courage or the initiative to make it happen, can I challenge you? I think sometimes the greatest part of leadership is just taking the step to do it. And sometimes, and we'll touch on this a little bit more in a moment, we fail when we doubt the call of leadership. We, we fail when we go, nah, I don't know that God really wants me to do that. I don't know if I'm, I'm not so sure. And in those moments, we, we fail. You know what that leads to? Frustration. We forfeit fulfillment when we fail to lead in the present. When you fail to lead where God has put you in the role that he's called you to, Leads to frustration. We forfeit the fulfillment that can come. I'm not saying leadership's easy. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's difficult. It's tough. But if God's called you to lead, take the lead. Which leads us into the second question that, that I hope we can use to evaluate our leadership today. And it's this. Number two, what is the style of your leadership? Number two, what is the style of your leadership? Style isn't necessarily a biblical word, is it? <laughs> You don't see it a whole lot in scripture. I use that word because it's, it's, a very, it's a buzzword right now. What's your leadership style? Are you autocratic? Are you democratic? Are you laissez-faire? Are you kind of hands-off? Or are you a dictator? Or are you, you, know, you kind of just a, a servant leader? Like we use all these words to describe our leadership style. Listen to the words Peter uses to describe what our spiritual leadership style should be. First Peter chapter five, verse two. He says, hey shepherd, you should be watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. 
not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now there's a lot that we can say about that passage. Let me hit just a couple of things. How does he want you to lead? What, what should your leadership style be? The first is this, he calls us to lead with a willing heart. He calls us to lead with a willing heart. He says you lead not because you must, but because you are willing. I think sometimes when, when God puts an opportunity in front of us, whether it's raising our kids or being involved in the church or whatever it is, sometimes we're like, all right, God, I'll do it. I've got several friends, family members that have actually gotten engaged in the last few months. And when the guys popped the question, I don't know of any of the ladies that looked at him and went, all right, I guess we'll get married. <laughs> it's a different kind of willingness, right? When God gives you that opportunity, what if you say, God, yes, I'll be, I'll be willing to do this. Lord, I will, I will open up and I will trust you. Now, the problem is that sometimes leadership is not always easy, right? And we have to be careful because leadership is blessed when we view it as a calling and not a compulsion. It's not that you're forced to do it. It's God's given you the opportunity to do it. And it's difficult sometimes. Let's just be honest. People are difficult to lead because they're human. Can I get an Amen. And children are difficult to lead because they're kids. Can I get an amen? amen? And life is tricky to lead in sometimes because we live in a fallen world. Can I get an amen? amen? Well, now that we all agree, leadership's tough sometimes. But it's a blessing. And we're called to it. We must be careful that we do not allow the blessing of leadership to become burden. God wants to bless you in the places where he's called you and we need to be careful that we don't view our children or our job or our ministry as a burden but that we see it as an opportunity from God. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Some of you say, well, that's, that's a good word. But Chad, it's not just tough. Where God wants me to lead, I'm actually a little scared. Because I'm not sure how this is going to play out. There's a ton of uncertainty. I think it's interesting. That, that passage says that we should not begrudge this, but that we should be willing to serve. And then he uses the phrase, as God wants you to be. God wants you to be willing to serve because God wants you to lead because God is right there beside you. He wants to lead you where you are, but oftentimes we forget that. And when we forget that, or when we get distracted from that, we give way to fear. And one of the greatest opponents to us being effective as leaders is when we become fearful. Sometimes we fail to lead because we fear to lose. We're afraid we're gonna lose out if this leadership thing doesn't go right. And so we fail to lead because we fear to lose. This thought just hit me really, um, it's kind of strong on Friday wasn't kind of initially in what I was gonna talk about, but man, that hit me and um, had just been thinking about how do I express that? How do I illustrate it? Wasn't really sure how to make that known until last night. Last night, there were four of us who were at home at our house. Um, I don't know, probably about nine o'clock or so. It was, it, was, it was me, it was my wife, Rhonda, it was our son, Evan, and it was our dog, Samson. Those are the four of us that were home. 
we had just gotten back, you know, from, uh, from being out of town, and so we had laundry going down in the laundry or the, the living room, folding clothes and all that kind of stuff. I had gone upstairs into our bedroom to get stuff ready, clothes ready, that kind of stuff for today. Evan was downstairs in the living room with Rhonda, and so was Samson. And so I was upstairs, and all of a sudden, I hear Rhonda call my name, which I usually like. It's said in different ways. Sometimes it's like, oh, Chad. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. You know, that, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's like, Chad which means I have three kids, I don't need another. That's what that means. <laughs> this wasn't like that. This, was, this had a sense of urgency, panic, almost a little fear to it. And I was like, that's, that's different. So I hopped up and I ran, and, and all of our bedrooms are upstairs in our house, and then our living room has kind of these higher ceilings, and the way it's kind of laid out is that we have this, this, this almost like a, I don't like a, it's, not, it's not really a balcony, but like this little window. I don't know, it's like three by four that looks out of our upstairs down into, the, down into the living room. And so I ran over to that and I looked down to have Rhonda yell, it's a bat, it's a bat. We had a bat in our living room. <laughs> and we're not exactly sure how it got in. We're, we're still kind of unpacking from Christmas because we were out of town. So I think we had brought some, some boxes in and Buddy the Bat was hiding in one of those boxes. So all I know is that this little critter is flying around in my living room. My first thought, I kid you not, my first thought was they're downstairs. I can just close the bedroom door. (laughs) Amen. And then I realized, wait, I'm their leader. (laughs) I'm their shepherd. I got to do something about this. Just for the record, those things are creepy. They're nasty. And this thing decides to get flying. So here's how it plays out. Like this, this dude is penduluming, right? He's flying from one end of the living room and then coming up to my window where I am and then kind of diving and going back around trying to, I think he's trying to figure out which one of us he's going to bite and turn us into a vampire, right? I mean, all that's going on. So here's the deal. Evan runs out in the garage and gets a baseball bat, all right? So he's ready. He's ready down there. Rhonda's on the floor and she's the spotter. It's here. It's there. And I'm like, what do I, what do, I do? You had, do you know those rubber, big Rubbermaid tubs? Do you know what I mean? There was a lid to one of those that was right there beside me in the bedroom. I grabbed that bad boy, and I'm leaning out the window, like over there, right? Okay, I'm leaning out, and the bat flies one way, and then he comes back over to me, and I'm like, oh, I got you bat right now. So I take my lid, and I swing it at it, miss him totally the first time, because he's smart. He does airflow, all this kind of stuff. Okay, I got you next time. I adjust my swing the next time. Got him. Not a fatal blow. Not a fatal blow. Okay, he just kind of, he's like, he, he, he literally, he looked me in the eyes and goes, that's the best you got? <laughs> Swings, comes back over. I adjust my swing. I hit that guy, knock him literally across the room. He goes flying into where the boxes are, the Christmas boxes, and you can hear, feelings like, oh, oh, yeah. you know, all this is going on. I am not kidding you. This, now the bat's flying across the room. I look down, Rhonda's sitting on the floor. The dog, Samson, is right over next to her, and both of them have a laundry basket over their head. <laughs> I am not making this up. Completely true, right? And I'm like, I think I got him. And he comes back to life, all right? This thing, he comes back, flying back up. This time I know I got, I adjust my swing. I swing at that thing, knock him. I hear him just go, thud on the ground. And Evan's like, He's like, my dad, you know, this kind of thing. He runs over with the laundry basket. Now we've got the bat pinned, and we have been successful. Can I get an amen? Except he's still in the house. Now what do you do? 
right? So, so we decide, now he's in the kitchen, right? This is, where, this is where Batman has gone. He's in the kitchen. So we're like, well, we got to get him out. There's a sliding glass door in the back of the kitchen. So we just start, we literally start sliding him like across the floor because we're not sure. He's just laying there. You know, I don't know. Is he, is he dead? Is he like faking? We're not sure. He, was st- he starts coming back to life as we start sliding him. You know, so we just keep moving. And then he realizes, I'm a bat. I can crawl out of this laundry basket through like the little, yeah, the little holes. So Ron is like, ah, you know, he's coming out while she's videoing the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks a lot, sweetie. You know, and the bat started to come out. So I'm taking the lid. I'm whacking the bat back in. Then he comes out the other side. Then he's trying to come out the other side. Eventually, we get him over like towards the sliding glass door. I don't know what to do. So I try to like take the laundry basket and like scoop him out the door, except now he's escaped. But he can't fly because he's stunned. Don't tell the PETA people. But I mean, he's just, I think he's just stunned, right? So we start trying to move him around eventually. Eventually we get him where I can, where I can, we, we got the sliding glass door open where I can just scoop him out the door. It was a nice day, wasn't it, yesterday? So we had our sliding glass door open. But the screen was still closed. I slammed that bad boy just right into the screen. <laughs> Finally, we opened the screen, get him outside, closed the door. I literally looked at Rhonda and Evan and said, I need a group hug. It was just... <laughs> It was nuts. I could have stayed in my bedroom. But it wasn't what I was called to do. I was called to lead my family. I was called to save their lives. We didn't need any Gilligans who were vampires. I had to be there. Three deep spiritual truths for you. Are you ready? Number one, if you see me coming at you with a Rubbermaid lid, you better look out. I am a bad man. (laughs) Number two, there will always be little things that create a big stir. True? He's just a small little guy. Scared me to death. (laughs) Number three, leaders take action when fear swoops in. That's what we're called to do. Called. God says, do this, and I'm... I'm with you in this. Be strong and courageous, he says over and over again. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Understand this. God calls us to lead faithfully and not to live fearfully. That's the calling on your life. God has called you to lead faithfully and not to live fearfully. And maybe I'm too simple. Maybe the whole uh, bat invasion of my living room was just a coincidence. But I can't help but think that maybe God allowed that bat to get into my house so that some of you could know that he wants you to lead even in the face of fear and that you can trust him because he's got your back. There's a whole lot more that we could unpack about this question about leadership style, what he says there about, about the fact that we're not to go for dishonest gain, but that we're to serve, where he talks about the fact that we're not to lord it over others, but that instead we are to be an example. But we could, we could unpack each one of those. And, and to be quite honest, we're, we're out of time. But I want to go to the third thing that I want you to see today, a third question for spiritual evaluation. Are you ready? Number three. You have to ask yourself this, the third question for spiritual evaluation, what is the goal of your leadership? Number three, what is the goal 
of your leadership. Peter knew, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, chief shepherd is, is kind of his nickname there for Jesus, the one that, that shepherds us, the one who's, who's your leader, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What's the goal of your leadership? Why do you do what you do? Is it for success? Is it for money? Is it for fame? Why do, why do you do what you do? The leader leads for Jesus' approval. If you're a spiritual leader, this is, this is what it comes down to. You lead for Jesus' approval when the chief shepherd appears. We live in a world of focus groups and approval ratings. Isn't it fascinating that all last week they were talking about Donald Trump's approval rating and he wasn't even the president yet. We care so much about what other people think. We put so much focus on that. The bottom line is, at the end of the days, you know whose approval matters? Just one. And I know this is a bit of a cliche, but understand this, we do what we do for an audience of one. We do what we do for an audience of one. I think I've shared this before, but I remember one time years ago, we were over in the old building on Glendale. I had preached a sermon, and if I may say so myself, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember walking into my office and feeling like that was a good day. I think I kept most of the people awake, and it wasn't as confusing as usual. <laughs> and I heard the Holy Spirit just kind of speak to my heart and say, yeah, Chad, but was I pleased? Did you, did you even ask yourself what I thought? I mean, you had all these other factors. And I know in your heart of hearts you want to please me. But did you stop to really think about, did that get my approval? That's the goal of the leader. The leader's goal is uh, to lead for Jesus' approval. And let me give you one other thought. The leader leads for eternal reward. Not just for what you can gain today, but he uses this analogy. He says that we lead for a crown of glory that will not fade away. Crowns don't mean a whole lot to us. The, the crown I always wanted when I was a kid was the paper one at Burger King. Anybody else? Yeah. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But when he used that, think of the analogies that he used. In that day and time, if you won an athletic competition, you didn't get a trophy or a medal so much as you got a crown. Oftentimes, it was made out of like some kind of greenery, like, like sometimes what they would call withered parsley. So it was a crown that would fade away, right? It would, it would literally deteriorate. Sometimes when they talk about a crown, they're, they're talking about royalty. But you're giving a crown because of who you are, because of what, the honor that's due you. There's this other way that you can use this analogy, which I think really fits here and helps us to understand what they meant in the first century. That it was a crown that was given to soldiers. There's a, there's a Jewish historian named Josephus, and Josephus wrote this. He was talking about the wars that the Jewish people found themselves in. And he was talking about a guy named Titus, who was one of the, the rulers of the armies. And it says, hereupon, Titus ordered those whose business it was to read the list of all that had performed great exploits in this war, whom he called to him by their names and commended them before the company and rejoiced in them in the same manner as a man would have rejoiced in his own exploits. Watch this. He also put on their heads crowns of gold and golden ornaments about their necks and gave them long spears of gold and ensigns that were made of silver and removed every one of them to a higher rank. And besides this, he plentifully distributed among them 
out of the spoils and the other prey they had taken, silver and gold and garments. Do you see the picture here? There was a soldier who did well in battle and his chief came to him and put on him this crown and said, and this almost sounds biblical, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what you're leading for? Not for focus groups and approval ratings. You're leading because one day you'll stand before the chief shepherd. And no matter what anybody else has said, what matters is what he says to you. True? Mom and dad, what matters is what Jesus says about your parenting. What matters is what Jesus says about your work. What matters is what Jesus says about your studying. What matters is what Jesus says. I don't know if you're familiar with... um, Bible translation at all. If, if, if the scriptures are new to you, it, it might be helpful to know that the Old Testament was written thousands of years ago, primarily in, in the language of Hebrew. And the New Testament was written thousands of years ago, primarily in the language of Greek. And so for us to be able to read the scriptures, those Hebrew and Greek texts, and, and it's, it's a really fascinating study in science if you look at it, those Hebrew and Greek texts have to be translated into English. And we believe that there's this, this credible process that happens, that God's word is infallible. It's, it's really an interesting thing to study. But one of the things that's interesting is because Greek is being translated for the New Testament into English, it's been translated in different times. That's why the King James Version can sometimes be difficult for us to read. Anybody ever get a little confused sometimes? Because it, it doesn't speak the same way that we speak. That's why we have different Bible translations. There's the NIV, the New Living Translation, the ESV, the English Standard Version, the Message. You have all these different translations that are translated by different people in different times, sometimes with different focuses, sometimes to be more academic, sometimes to be more easy to understand. We oftentimes will use the, the New International Version, kind of a, a popular translation in our messages. That's, that's typically what we use. However, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, when they translated it, because they were trying to make it, uh, to make it work, and I understand why they did it, it's kind of simplify things, they kind of left a word out. There's this Greek word, un, O-U-N. It's a real simple word, and it's at the very beginning of verse 1, but they didn't put it in there because if you look at it, it's really not that necessary. But actually, it's essential. It's a word that means so or therefore. And we've already learned, if you were familiar, a few weeks ago we talked about this, that when you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it? What is it therefore? Why is it there? So that word's really important because at the beginning of verse 1, before he even talks to the shepherds, the leaders. He says to them, therefore, which means something happened in the verse before that he's drawing their attention to. Look at what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says this, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Chapter 5, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying this, look, there are people in the world who are suffering. There are people in your church who are suffering. There are people in your family who are struggling. There are people around you, a flock, sheep that God's called you to lead, and they're suffering. Therefore, shepherd, what you do is critically important. Chad, what difference does it make if I lead? You know what? It makes all the difference in the world. Because Peter's saying here, look, if you don't lead, do you know how that's going to affect other people? First, back it up just a little bit. Understand this. If you do not lead where God has called you, you fail to fulfill your God-given potential. And for the record, that's, that's kind of a sin. 
But make it even more specific. If you do not lead where God has called you, others will fail to receive their God-given blessings. Peter says, leader, there are people who need you to lead. Therefore, do it in the way that God has called you to. Dad, if you don't lead, that's going to lead a void in your child's life. Mom, if you don't lead, you rob them of a heritage that God intends for them. Student, if you don't lead, others will miss out on what God wants to do through your life. I'm not the boss. Doesn't matter. Employee, employer. As you lead where God has put you, you could literally make an eternal difference in the life of those that you get a paycheck with. Calvary, if we don't lead, there will be people in Toledo and around the world who will not experience life change. And this isn't being dramatic. There will be people who will go to hell because we didn't trust God to lead through us. But it's tough, Chad. I don't know if I can do it. You you probably can't. (laughs) Because you cannot effectively shepherd without the help of the chief shepherd. If you want to lead, spiritually lead, you're going to need his help. And for somebody, it could make all the difference in the world. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Honestly, this is really important. Because whether it's a a difficult situation that you find yourself walking into, or maybe it's a door of opportunity that just blows your mind, or maybe we just call it Monday, you know that there's a place where God has called you to lead. And if you're here today and you'd say, God, I need you to help me lead spiritually as you've called me to, would you just raise your hand, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2, watching online somewhere, if you just say, God, I need your help to lead the way that you've called me to. Father, you see these hands in our homes, on the job, in our schools, in our community in our families, in our workplace. God, we can't lead without you. We need you to be our chief shepherd. Father, my hand's up with those who have their hands raised, saying, God, we need your help. We need your help to lead and to feed and to guard and to guide. We need your help when fear swoops in. We need your help to remember that what we do, we do for you. Holy Spirit, would you empower us? God, would you give us wisdom? Lord, would you lead through us, we pray. Now, God, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Lord, would you send this church full of leaders out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen.